morning, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to Jonah one more time, Jonah chapter 4 this morning. Uh, and as you're turning there, I hope that you have seen very clearly as we've studied this very short prophetic book in the Old Testament, the boundless measure of God's free mercy. So this morning as we come to this closing chapter, I think it's worth taking just a second to think about, just very quickly in summary, how God's mercy is displayed in this old book. So first, in chapter 1, we see God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them because their sin had come before his face. So God calls Jonah in his mercy to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel of repentance so that Nineveh could repent of their wickedness and be spared from God's wrath. Do you remember at this calling, Jonah snaps. He tries to run as far away from the presence of the Lord as he possibly can, and he flees to go to Tarshish. Second, we see that God throws a mighty storm upon the sea, stopping Jonah in his tracks. But God, in his boundless mercy towards Jonah and towards those Gentile sailors, reveal both the source and the solution of that storm. And upon throwing Jonah into the sea, God, in his mercy, saves those Gentile sailors from the storm. Third, Jonah learns that just as he can't outrun God's presence, neither can Jonah outrun God's mercy. God sends a great fish to swallow up Jonah, which acts as a kind of ark, we said, that saves Jonah's life from drowning in the depths of the sea. And there in the belly of the great fish, Jonah again, receives God's mercy. Praise that wonderful song of forgiveness, praising God. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I think that's the theme of the whole book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Fourth, we see Jonah uh, receive God's mercy again when God calls him a second time to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance to the wicked Ninevites. We learned the important lesson that God doesn't give up on his people. Fifth, we saw God's boundless mercy displayed towards Nineveh as Jonah preaches and they repent. What you might expect from Jonah in chapter 4 is a chapter of great excitement and wonder at the great mercy of God that has just been displayed. But that's not what we see at all. You know, you'd think that Jonah would be excited. After all, God had just used Jonah's preaching to turn his enemies towards God. But that's not what we get. We see that as far as Jonah has come in learning lessons about God's boundless mercy, there's still a lot left to learn. So with that, I want to invite you to stand with me as I read for us Jonah chapter 4. We stand because this is God's holy, inspired 
in an errant word. I'm actually going to start in chapter 3, verse 10, just to pick up a little bit of context. When God saw what they did, the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it under the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity that plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now that you would be with us as we study your word. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, uh, Lord, and that those who are here today would hear from you, from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, perhaps you've had an experience like I had this week. I was up in Louisville um, doing some visits and getting some training uh, this week. And while I was up there, my wife called and, and wanted me to run by the grocery store for her to pick up a few things before I came home. I was there in the grocery store and walking through the aisles with my cart. And I came upon uh, a dad who was there with his young son. The young son saw something on the shelf that he wanted, uh, and so he asked for it. His dad said, nope, we're not here to get that today. And you can imagine what took place. 
It was the biggest fit I have ever I have seen pitched in a really, really long time. The dad's face went from uh, confusion to rage, in which he told the son, "Stop whining before I give you something to whine about." <clears throat> and the son continued to pitch that fit, and the father's face went from confusion and panic to rage to embarrassment, he looked at me and those around me, and he said, sorry. And I said back to that father, what has become my customary response in these awkward situations, it's okay, I've got four kids, right? <clears throat> Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you're doing a great job, carry on. You can hear the son's cries as they went down the aisle. We've all been there before. And what we come to in our sermon text this morning is pretty much exactly that. It's a pity party. It's a good old-fashioned fit pitching. Right? Except the one pitching the fit is not a child who didn't get the cookies that he wanted. The fit pitcher is a prophet, a man of God who has been shown incredible mercy, incredible grace. And the father is not a panicky, frustrated father. The father is a loving, gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love father who keeps mercy for even the worst of sinners. I think all of us here this morning, no matter if you're a Christian or not, can learn just a little bit more about God's mercy towards sinners by this story. Even the worst of sinners. That brings us to our main idea this morning. You see there in your notes, our central idea, our main idea, that God's boundless mercy comes to all sinners through Jesus. And we must never respond to God's mercy with self-righteous resentment, but with praise. God's boundless mercy comes to all sinners all sinners, through Jesus. And we must never respond to God's mercy with self-righteous resentment, but instead with praise. So we pick up this morning, we find Jonah sitting outside the city of Nineveh. It seems as if Jonah has come so far. God has saved Jonah and used him in a mighty way to display his saving grace. But far from worshiping God for his saving grace, Jonah is downright angry. More than merely just being mad, Jonah actually thinks that what God has done here is a huge injustice. That brings us to point one. We've got two points in our sermon this morning. Point number one, we must be quick to remember God's mercy towards us. We must be quick to remember God's mercy towards us. Look down at verse 1. It says, But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, the actual Hebrew word here translated displeased, it's actually more often translated evil in the New Testament. So some of you might be reading from the NIV this morning. I think the NIV actually helpfully translates this verse 
But to Jonah, this seemed very, very wrong. You might literally translate this words, this was evil in the eyes of Jonah. Great evil. And he was very angry. But the question is, why did God, or why did Jonah see God's merciful actions towards Nineveh as evil? Why was he so angry? Well, there's a couple of reasons I think here that we could probably get from the text and from the story. First, I think Jonah was probably angry because he knew God was going to use Jonah's preaching to show mercy to Nineveh. He knew it. Jonah says as much. Look down at verse 2. Verse 2, where Jonah says to God, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Well, how did Jonah know that? How did Jonah know what God was going to do before God did it? Well, it's because God had revealed this about himself in Scripture. You see, these, these words here that Jonah uses, he's actually quoting the Bible. It's quoting from Exodus chapter 34, in which God reveals himself to Moses. He speaks a word about himself to Moses and tells Moses exactly who he is. And what does God say? He says exactly what Jonah quotes here, that he is a God, a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So Jonah was angry because he knew God was going to use Jonah's preaching to show mercy to Nineveh. Secondly, I think Jonah saw this as a great evil because he felt as if Nineveh deserved God's wrath. Nineveh deserved God's wrath, not his mercy. After all, these pagan people, these were pagan, idol-worshiping enemies of Israel. Jonah probably thought God should have dealt with Nineveh the same way that he dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah. The same way he dealt with Pharaoh and Pharaoh's armies at the Red Sea. What made Nineveh deserving of God's saving mercy? Well, Jonah saw that it was evil because he felt as if Nineveh deserved wrath, not mercy. Thirdly, I think Jonah was angry because he saw God's mercy towards Nineveh as unfaithfulness to Israel. You see that? He thought that showing Israel's enemies mercy was actually unfaithfulness to God's covenant people. If you look at God's promise, which was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then to Israel as a whole, part of that promise includes something like, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Well, Nineveh had obviously been a thorn in Israel's side. So where God is the cursing? Here's the lesson that Jonah had yet to learn. And here's the lesson I think that is for us to learn this morning. When we are tempted to look at God in self-righteous anger, when he displays mercy towards those we feel don't deserve, we must be quick to remember that God showed us mercy 
first. It's really easy for us to look at other people's sin. It's really easy for us to look at how bad and how blasphemous and think that they are outside of the boundaries of God's mercy. But it's a whole lot harder to look first at ourselves and remember that we too are sinners desperate for God's mercy. We might look at God's salvation as an, of an unrighteous sinner and we might say, God, that's not fair. But we must remember that God saved us when we were undeserving of his mercy. This leads Jonah to say something that's really unthinkable. He says there, verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And Jonah looks at this situation, and he takes a them or me attitude towards God. Right? God, if it's going to be them or if it's going to be me, it's clear that you've chosen them, so just go ahead and, and take my life now. It's interesting here that Jonah is ready to lay down his life out of a pity party, not out of love. Again, we've seen this over and over in this book, but we see it here again that Jonah leaves us longing desperately for a better prophet. A prophet who doesn't throw a pity party and want to lay down his life, but a prophet who willingly lays down his life for love of his enemies. Brothers and sisters, we find that prophet in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Paul says, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. John says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jonah's quintessential problem here is memory loss. He's got a short-term memory. We've seen how Jonah, too, experienced God's mercy in miraculous ways and how he forgot about that mercy. You know, brothers and sisters, how quickly we forget our own need for mercy, which leads us to look in self-righteous contempt towards others whom we deem unworthy of God's love. Now, I want to speak just to a second here to those of you in the room who are Christians, who are believers in Jesus. How do you view your own sin and your own need of a Savior? Think about that question for a second. How do you view your own sin and your own need for a Savior? When you look at people around you, when you look at the lost and dying world around you, you watch their actions, you see what they do, what swells up? in your heart? Is it pity? Or is it self-righteousness? 
Maybe you don't voice the self-righteousness. Maybe it's just a fleeting thought or a feeling that somehow, some way, you're really more deserving of God's grace than that person over there. After all, you're a good church-going Christian. Doesn't that person over there deserve God's wrath? Isn't that the same attitude of the older brother in the parable that we just read? Whose lost brother had wandered off in sin and his father welcomed him home? He threw a self-righteous pity party outside of that welcome home feast. You know, brother and sister, if that's you this morning, it would do you good to remember everything that God has saved you from. Preach to yourself God's word from 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. See, brothers and sisters, God's mercy should never be an offense to our sense of justice. It should be a reminder that it's our only hope for salvation. Pray this morning that God's mercy shown to us would first lead us to humility and never a sense of self-righteousness. Because if we are quick to remember our own guilt and God's saving mercy that's been extended to us, it will change the way you look at other people. And that brings us to point number two. Point number two, we must quickly praise God when he extends mercy towards others. We must be quick to praise God when he extends mercy towards others. To close out this chapter and to close out Jonah's story, we see God's response to Jonah's self-righteous pity party. Right? We, we, we see the response of the loving father. And God's response comes in this form. First, he asks a question. And then he gives an object lesson. And then he follows it up with another question. I hate it when people respond to me with questions. This is a personal pet peeve of mine. So if after the service today, if I come up to you and I ask you, what do you think about the sermon? Do not say to me, well, what did you think about the sermon? I hate that. Just tell me what you think. Ugh. But that's not the purpose of God's questions. Right? That, that's not the purpose of God's questions. When God asks a question in Scripture, it's not to get out of answering an awkward question or a hard question. Nor should we think that when God asks a question in Scripture, that it's because he doesn't already know the answer. Right? God's not seeking wisdom from Jonah here. No, when, when God asks a question, God asks us that question to teach us something. Good questions have a way of getting us to think. 
right? And thus to learn from our errors. So in verse 4, God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Another way to ask this question would be, Jonah, is this righteous anger? Clearly, Jonah thought the answer to that question was, well, yeah, right? Yeah, it's righteous angry. I've got every right in the world to be angry. So, God sovereignly uses his control yet again over nature to teach Jonah an object lesson. Object lessons are powerful teaching tools. So, Jonah goes out east of the city into the sweltering heat of the wilderness, and he he gets kind of a, a, a seat, and he sets up a booth or a tent. He sets up a shelter to sit in, and, and he's watching, overlooking the city, just to see, maybe, just maybe, if he had convinced God that he was right and God was wrong, and maybe God would rain down fire and brimstone from heaven, and he would get it right the second time. So he builds this shelter to shade himself from the heat and from the sun, and God, in his mercy, caused a plant to spring up right there to shade Jonah and to make him comfortable. Look at the last line of verse 6 again. The last line of verse 6, So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You see, Jonah's cool with it when God shows him mercy. But then the next morning, God sent a worm. That worm ate up and destroyed the plant. And then once the plant had withered, as the sun rose and the heat beat down on Jonah, God sent a scorching east wind. And Jonah again throws a hissy fit. Just like a child who gets a toy taken away from him, Jonah says, just kill me now, God. Put me out of my misery. By the way here, do you see even in this God's long-suffering mercy? If I were God in this situation, I'd be like, fine, pow, you're out, Jonah. But that's not what God does. That's not what God does. God asked him a question again. Do you do well to be angry about the plant? Jonah finally answers honestly. Yes, I am righteous in my anger. I am angry enough to die. So Jonah didn't get the point of the object lesson. In doing this, God was exposing Jonah's self-centered heart towards God's grace. And do you see the miserable spirit that that produced in Jonah? The spirit is all too common amongst God's people. What amazed Jonah about grace was only what it meant to him personally. Whether it was in the form of a great fish or maybe a little plant that shaded him from the sun. Along with the narrow circle of people God, or that Jonah cared about, he didn't want to see God's grace extended beyond those boundaries. What the gospel might mean for others concerned him little, he had personal reasons to not want God's grace for Nineveh. So there he sat, 
in his self-righteous misery, seething outside outside of the city in the wilderness, while the wind and the sun blasted his body. But God had pity. God had pity on Jonah. God had pity on Nineveh. Just like God had pity on you and on me. You see, friends, mercy is God's prerogative. Mercy and salvation is God's prerogative. God says in his word, actually from the same text that Jonah quoted against God earlier, God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. The question for us is, how do we respond when we see God display his saving mercy towards other people? Again, speaking to Christians here this morning, how do you look at the lost world around you? How do you look at those who are different than you? Whose sins you think are absolutely unimaginable? Whose viewpoints and whose way of life is so far outside of the bounds of God's law that you couldn't even fathom what life is like for them and why they could live such a rebellious life? Do you see them as your enemy? Or do you see them in pity as potential objects of God's saving mercy? You see, Christian, this makes a huge difference in the way that you evangelize. This makes a huge difference in the way that you share the gospel. We live in a world full of people who do not know their right hand from their left. They are entrapped. They are enslaved by their sin. And there is no hope for them outside of the gospel. And brothers and sisters, we have the gospel. We have the good news that they need to hear that God's mercy is boundless and free. So do you look at them in contempt? Or do you look at them with the eyes of God in pity? Romans 10, 14-15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a gospel of grace. And if that gospel of grace can save a dirty, wretched sinner like you, if that gospel of grace can save a dirty, wretched sinner like me, then that gospel can save a dirty, wretched sinner like them. 
There are probably some of you here this morning who aren't Christians, who never responded to the gospel of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection through faith. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you feel like you're outside of the bounds of God's mercy and grace. Maybe you feel like your sin is too great. Maybe you feel entrapped and helpless and hopeless. I think this text says to you this morning that God's mercy is boundless. You can't outrun God's mercy. How do I know that? Because the same God who extended mercy towards the Ninevites came to us. He wrapped himself in flesh and took on a human form. He was born in Bethlehem of a virgin named Mary. He, he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, as hard as we might try. And he died on a cross to take your guilt and to take your punishment that you do deserve for your sin. And he paid your price in full. And that's not the end of the story, though. That God the Father looked upon the sacrifice of Jesus the Son and deemed it worthy enough to raise Jesus from the dead, defeating death and defeating sin once for all. And here's the good news for you this morning, friend. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, the good news is that that message of salvation through Christ is for you. I don't care how sinful you are. I don't care how far gone you may feel. That message is for you. And I can stand here this morning and say with full authority from God's revealed word that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, why would you not do that today? Why would you not run to him today? God looks on you this morning in mercy. The question is, what are you going to do with that mercy? That's it. That's all there is. That's the end of the story. Isn't it crazy that Jonah ends with a cliffhanger? We stand there and we read these words. We read God's response and we think, what's Jonah going to do? I don't know. Pastor Tim Keller makes an interesting observation. He says that we can have a reasonable guess on how Jonah responded because we know the story. The only way that we can know about Jonah's motivations, the only way that we can know about Jonah's experiences is if Jonah told other people. Keller says, what kind of man 
would let the world see what kind of a fool he was. Only one who had become joyfully secure in God's love. Only someone who believed that he was simultaneously sinful, but also completely accepted by God. Maybe, just maybe, Jonah found his joy in the gospel. What about you? Have you found your joy in the gospel this morning? God's mercy can change Jonah. If God's mercy can sway pagan sailors from Joppa, if God's mercy can save the most feared of Israel's enemies, then God's mercy can save anyone. It can save me and friend. It can save you. Let's pray.